Coming up on this edition of Cougar Insider's podcast, you're going to hear a little bit about Tanner Magnum. Did he do enough to keep his job? Should his job be in jeopardy? Is his job on the line? Is Zach Wilson somewhere in the background is going to be thrust upon that? We'll be talking about that. Also, breaking down the BYU-Wisconsin game, BYU going into Big Ten territory and taking on a, a top ten team. And then we've got a special guest that's going to talk about the uh, Hall of Fame status of Todd Christensen, why he should be in the Hall of Fame, and why this is really kind of a big neglect on the, on the part of the NFL. That and much, much more on this edition of Cougar Insiders. Hi, welcome to Cougar Insider's podcast. I'm Dick Harmon, columnist for the Deseret News, along with Jeff Call, who is a longtime beat writer covering the Cougars. And we're going to dissect the uh, Cal game and look forward to a trip to Wisconsin, where BYU will play the number six team in the country. And Jeff Call, kind of a disappointing loss to the Cals in a lot of big ways after a win at Arizona, but maybe a lot of surprises also that we just didn't expect in that game. Yeah, I think one of the things that really stands out to me was just the number of drop passes. I, I didn't expect that. I thought that uh, based on what I saw the week before that you know they were much improved in that area and they would secure the ball and things like that. But uh, they really had some critical ones. And one that really stood out to me was um, that deep one to Dylan Colley, if you remember, um, would have put BYU in great field position. And it looked like it kind of bounced off his fingertips a little bit. Um, he had two guys on him. I don't know if he had heard footsteps or whatever, but that was, that was a big one. That was kind of a momentum change, sure, I thought, for BYU. And I thought, I thought too, that BYU's offensive line had played so well against Arizona, and it turns out that Arizona maybe is a little bit weak, but they did impose their will down in Tucson against that Pac-12 team. And in this game, I think they did okay in the first half, and they seemed to be dominating at times. If you look at the stats, they dominated in time of possession. They dominated in the total yards. They, they, they had more, I think, plays. Um, but but in, in, in the end, as you take away from it, in the third quarter, all of a sudden they're stuffing BOU's offensive line. They were pushing them back. They caught uh, Squally Canada a couple of times for losses. He never gained any more yards in the second half after putting up about 46 in the first half. You think he's on his way to maybe 22 carries and maybe a 100-yard performance, and that just did not happen. Yeah, I, I think BYU ended up rushing for six yards in the second half, and they had a total of 11 yards of total offense in that third quarter. It was almost like this complete flip from what we saw in Tucson, where BYU came out in the third quarter, imposed its will, dominated, um, opened up holes for Squally Canada to run through, and then that just kind of disappeared in the second half. You know, it's uh, BYU and Independence is going to take on these kind of games. They're going to play Power 5 opponents. They're going to play teams from the Pac-12, from the Southeast Conference, from... Uh, um, for the Big Ten next week, and that is what Independence Life is going to be. This is 50-50 now against these teams. Is BYU biting off more than it can chew in playing these teams? Well, I think by virtue of being an independent team, you, you have to do that. I mean, that's what uh, Tom from day one said when he unveiled this uh, independence idea was that, you know, we're going to travel around and play all these great teams, and, and, and I think as part of staying relevant nationally, you've got to do that. Now, the interesting thing, of course, about scheduling is you never know what you're going to get when these games are scheduled two, three, four years in advance, how good they're going to be. Um, and now BYU's faced a situation where they've got, um, you know, number six Washington or Wisconsin this week. They've got 
another great team in Washington coming up in here in a couple of weeks. And yeah, it's tough, but that's the position BYU is going to be in. And um, you know, the, the truth of the matter is, if people really want BYU to be in a Power Five conference, they've got to get used to the idea of playing these kind of teams and having that kind of a record too. I mean, right. you know, look at University of Utah last year; they they didn't have a winning record in that uh, the Pac-12, and they ended up losing the division. And uh, that that's just kind of the way it is when you play big boy. I, you know, the way I look at it is this, Jeff, and you, you alluded to that, is that you've got to put on your big boy pants. You've got to recruit better. Mm-hmm. You've got to hire the right coaches. You've yeah. got to prepare better. You've got to have your players playing at a high level. And that's that's just part of being in the if, – if people want BYU to be in a Power 5 conference, you have to play like it. You have to act like it. You've got to recruit like it. And your program has to be that way. Yeah, and I think we've talked about this before, but – Bringing in a guy like Jeff Grimes, who's been around the SEC, he's been around some big time football throughout his career, a lot of different conferences. Uh, you know, he's brought in and to basically mold this program into a to recruit to its strengths and what it can do to be successful. And starts with the offensive line. If they get an offensive line that's dominant, uh, BYU can recruit great offensive linemen. We've seen it in the past. And if they can build on that foundation of getting those guys, and of course they've got to improve in other areas as well, but it starts on the offensive and defensive lines, and that's where Kalani Slataki wants to build this program, and that's how you can compete with these big boys is by competing in the trenches. Well, ESPN's gone to bat for BYU. They've asked of them to play some teams in some hard places. Some of that's going to come back to them in the next few years. But an inside look at what happened in the press box, Tom Homo went around. It's kind of interesting, you know, because he's, he's friendly to us in that, but he went far out of his way in that game to go to around to each of the members of the media coming from uh, Berkeley, California. And a lot of them covered him when he was the head coach there and when he played for the San Francisco 49ers and has four Super Bowl rings. Uh, their play-by-play broadcaster is a guy that Tom Almo has known almost from the beginning. Uh, he covered Steve Young and did play-by-play for the San Francisco 49ers. Tom was going around glad-handing those guys. He, he was walking by and said, where are the Cal media? And he went right over there trying to, 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 to build relationships, to welcome them to BYU. And he's acting and, and trying to do the things uh, to welcome Power 5 competition. And we we saw that in the background there in that game. Yeah, like you said, Tom has really deep roots in Northern California. Coached at Stanford, coached at Cal. His uh, great career with the 49ers. So, yeah, I think Tom sees that as part of his job is to be able to bring exposure to BYU uh, football and by scheduling his games all over the country. And that's that's part of what he's trying to do. Very disappointing loss, uh, 21-18. to 18. BYU had plenty of opportunities to win that game if they make two or three more plays. That's what it boiled down to. Two or three more plays, they can win that game. It was not that that big of a disparaging thing for BYU to be on the, the, the field with Cal. In fact, uh, Kalani Sataki said that, uh, you know, 21 points is good enough to win. You know, they, they were patient with the run. Um, they kept, our, our, kept us on our heels with the pass game because they – uh, they did a lot of quick throws, a lot of timing throws, and then the times that they did do some drop back was a little bit uh, unconventional um, with, the, with the whether it's the uh, you know the wildcat look and just taking a step up and then just really doing a little more like a play action to buy more time for their their five step and so it was it was a, a good strategy for them bought them more time but we weren't able to get enough pressure and enough knockback up front 
Um, and yeah, that's that's a problem for us. So if we're gonna try to be more disruptive on defense, it needs to come from the D line. But I, I think the uh, I think Cal did a great job of, of keeping us on our heels and just keep us guessing. It wasn't like they were just dropping back and throwing five step. Uh, drop back pass every time they they mix it up they even move the pocket a lot and and then they, they sustain drives they want too many first downs and they're able to get third short and we weren't able to get out of our third downs and so that's that's an issue for us you know and so uh, we'll keep working on it but I mean we scored we scored seven points on we scored touchdown on defense and, and created two turnovers um, you know the, the hard work and effort paid off in that aspect but just couldn't get off of drives but you know, you tell me 21 points, I think, should be enough to win that game. You know, Jeff, uh, there's a lot of different things that are going on on the football field. A lot of them, uh, you know, deserve kind of a rush of the story thing. And maybe you could tell us the story of Skyler Southam and maybe how things are going to change. Well, you know, I was watching that game Saturday night. Uh, you know, you see BYU get into Cal territory. I think BYU got into uh, Cal territory six times and came away with one touchdown, one field goal. Now, there are other opportunities BYU had, whether they went for it on fourth down or there was a turnover. But, uh, you know, BYU has, I think, an unused weapon to this point. And it remains to be seen how this plays out during the rest of the season. But I really think that Skyler Southam, who's a freshman kicker at BYU, just returned home from a mission. He was a, a high school American out of Wasatch High. He has got a powerful leg. I mean, his range is up to about 55 yards. And that's something we have not seen at BYU in quite a while. Uh, the kicking game has been pretty inconsistent. We haven't seen many guys that can kick you know, deep, 50, have the opportunity to kick 50-yard-plus field goals. And Skyler Southam, even though he's, uh, he, he's just played two games of college football, he's got that potential. And so I think we're going to see him being used more. And I think in the type of games BYU's going to play where there may be some close games, there may be some opportunities where you can't squander opportunities to score. To put him out there instead of maybe going for it on fourth and two from your own twenty, maybe throw him out there and and get some get some points. And I think that's something that uh, Kalani said yesterday that he likes to see do more. Although he also said I like to go for it on fourth and two. Well, he does. So that, that, that would probably be the one criticism I had in that game, Jeff, is that he you know and, and I I I praise him for being aggressive. I think that's a good attitude because you're showing your team that you believe in them and that they can get a, a fourth and one and convert it and continue to go down. But on that particular situation in that game. Um, they got down there as a fourth and one. They used Bo Hodge, brought him in. He hadn't played very much. He hadn't been in a, a, a game. And, and then they called upon him to carry the ball on a fourth and one, and he did not get that. That would have been a perfect opportunity to use Southam to come in and right. just get three points on the yeah. board and, and relieve everybody of the pressure and say, let's let this kid go to work and make a point. And that ended up being a pr- maybe one of the critical plays in the game is not getting that fourth down conversion. Oh, I agree. And I think you know everyone wants to score touchdowns. I mean, that's what the fans want to see. That's what you want to score touchdowns. But there's got to come to a point where you realize we need to get some points on the board, even if it's just three. That, I think that's a, it's a huge morale booster and a confidence booster just to get some points on the board and start out that way. Because, like you said, that opening drive, to come away with nothing after putting together a pretty good drive is deflating. And uh, and as you see at the end of the game, I mean, you look back and think, wow, these are some opportunities at BYU really missed out on. Jeff, you know, uh, I always have written, and I maintain this in the 43 years that I've covered BYU football, is that the biggest 
you know, other than the offensive line, you had to win the trenches. But the one biggest factor, and I we've, we've been in cars and airports talking about this, the biggest factor in BYU having success against Utah and against other teams is the play of the quarterback, that the quarterback needs to make conversions. He needs to move the chains. He needs to get touchdowns. He needs to finesse his way through a game to overcome the talent gap and the speed gap. And when you see a, a Max Hall, you see a, a, a John Beck, you see uh, any of the great names that you have, they have done that. They found a way to make one or two of those big plays uh, to make the difference in a game. Now, in that game, I think uh, uh, Tanner Magnum did not make some plays that he could have. And right now, it's raging all over the message boards and the internet that, you know, maybe they ought to make a change. Maybe they ought to go to Zach Wilson right now that Tanner is a failure, that you're seeing some of the old things that happened in the past. I don't know that I'm on that boat yet because there were so many things that happened in that game, Jeff, that were not his fault. Yeah, I think as you go back and look at some of the plays and, and things, and we've talked about this. We touched on the, you know, the drop passes, uh, maybe the blocking that kind of fell through a little bit. But uh, you're right; it all starts and begins, it starts and ends with the quarterback. And Tanner Mangum has shown in his career, his very up and down career, that he's got the capability of making those plays and, and looking like the kind of BYU quarterback that everyone expects. And there's been times when he hasn't. Um, as far as those calling for uh, Tanner Mangum to be benched, I think right now the, the timing is not good. I mean, when you're going into number six, Wisconsin, I don't think you really want to trot out a true freshman quarterback at Camp Randall Stadium, kind of throw him to the wolves, so to speak, and and see how he does. I think that could really hurt his confidence. I mean, could shatter it, really. I mean, I think you give Tanner more chances, let him play through it, and see what happens. You've got McNeese State at home the following week. Let's see what happens this Saturday, and then uh, maybe you can make some decisions that way. I mean, I don't, I don't know if changing the quarterback would make a difference in the outcome or anything like that. But let Tanner keep going, see what he can do. I agree with you. I, I don't think it's time yet. I think there is a time that that could happen. But right now, you're in the middle of a battle. You need uh, your most experienced players out there going into this. Uh, this game in Madison, and we're going to break down that game and and talk about what it means. They have not lost a non-conference support to an opponent that's non-conference in 15 years, Jeff. That's that's a great streak in Madison. It's a great place to be. We've been there before, Camp Randall. We got kicked out of the the parking lot stadium when we peeked in there before the day before the <laughs> game last uh, last time we went there. So Jeff, call anything is possible. What is your prediction for this game, score wise, whatever? I'm going to say Wisconsin 34, BYU 16. I think I, I, I like that. I think BYU will play, play better, but they're going to be overwhelmed. Uh, Wisconsin is very, very good. I would say 38 Wisconsin, uh, BYU 17. I think they're going to get a field goal here, maybe maybe, maybe even two. But uh, I, I think it would be about a 17 to 18-point win for Wisconsin. We do want to invite you to join us with the grid picks in the Deseret News. You can go to our website at deseretnews.com, look in our sports section, click on that, and sign up for the grid picks. You can uh, make a profile there for yourself. Hop on. Uh, it's a lot of fun. You can win gift cards. Um, there's 14 games a week. I pick those games on uh, Friday for Saturday's paper. They're online Friday night, but they're available. I, I make them up on Mondays, and, and we get them into the sports editor, and, and they go through that process. So grid picks, DeseretNews.com. You know, we, we, we failed to mention, Jeff Call, that we need to excuse Brandon Gurney. He's uh, taking his nephews and nieces down to Disneyland, something that's been 
didn't plan for a while. So the segment on recruiting will pick up again next week, but we want to excuse Brandon. Great guy, works hard. But in his place, at least for today, in this edition, we've got Doug Robinson, an award-winning columnist for the Deseret News, who's done great work. You've probably read his stuff, uh, likes to do a lot of in-depth things and figure out things and get behind the scenes. Doug, welcome to our podcast today. We appreciate you being here. Thanks, Dick. Glad to be here. Uh, tell us a little bit about this uh, column that you did and the research you did on Todd Christensen, one of the most devastating tight ends that didn't play tight end at BYU, but fullback, but regardless, has been a, a tremendous athlete. And when he played for the Raiders, he was just knocking down people. Yeah. Well, in the course of researching another story, I, I stumbled on the name Todd Christensen, and I um, and I noticed he had great numbers. I Actually, I knew that, but I started looking into it, and I thought, I'll, I'll bet he's in the Hall of Fame. And I started looking into it, and he's not. That, I'm talking about the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I thought, well, that seems kind of strange to me. So I started poking around on the Internet and found a few references to it that uh, wondered why he wasn't in the Hall of Fame and that he was deserving. But really, there hasn't been much about it for the last few years. And um, so I thought, well, this this ought to be something I explore. And so I ended up calling his son Toby, and and we talked about it a lot. And there is a really strong case to be made uh, for him to be in the Hall of Fame. What are the um, what are the uh, the steps and the requirements? What are those requirements that meet the threshold to be? Uh, inducted. It's purely a media-driven thing, and uh, and it can come late too. Some people might wonder, well, it's it's too late now. He hasn't played since 1988, um, and he's had his chances. But it doesn't work the same as pro baseball. Um, for instance, Jerry Kramer just got in the Hall of Fame 50 years after he played. The media kind of took up his cause. A couple guys did start promoting his cause. Um, Oh, Kenny Stabler finally got in after 32 years, I think just in 2017, and he'd been retired for 32 years, and he'd been dead for one year, and he got in. So I think, and that's that uh, speaks to one of the problems with Christensen's case, is that, the uh, and, and Toby brought this up, that the fact that the Raiders have moved around so much over the years, they don't really have a loyal media backing. They don't have a Dick Harmon or Jeff Call pushing their, their cause, his cause. And, you know, when he was there, they, they were in uh, Oakland, and then in his fourth season, they moved to L.A., and and then they moved back, and now they're getting to, to uh, ready to move to Las Vegas in the next year or two. So there's some belief that they he just doesn't have the backing, and there's reason to suspect that because uh, a lot of great Raider players are not in the hall. For instance, Lester Hayes. I don't know if you, that dates me. I, but, I met him in Las Vegas signing autographs in a Walmart. Yeah. Oh, really? No, it shows you how far he's come. Yeah. Uh, uh, Cliff Branch isn't in there. Tom Flores isn't in there. Wow. He won, he won uh, a Super Bowl as a player and as assistant coach, and he won two as a head coach, and he's not in the Hall of Fame. Is this an anti-Raider thing? Then? Well, I, you know, that's that's where they're going with this. That's well, we got to get Ra- Raider Nation involved yeah. here and get a little bit of thing going. Uh, yeah. what, what needs to be done? What could be done? Well, people write in or, or write to their local sports writer or write to the Hall of Pro Football Hall of Fame. There's a guy online named uh, Jeff Taylor. He calls himself the Chandler of football, and he he's the one who took up uh, uh, Kramer's cause and probably was instrumental in getting that done. And he also has. 
made a list of players he thinks are deserving, and uh, Todd Christensen's name's real high on the list. Well, be sure to read Doug's story in the Deseret News. Uh, he's done some research on that. Doug, finally, what is the biggest couple of plays that you think that uh, Todd should be remembered of? And we ought to tell people that Todd did die a few years ago, unfortunately, from uh, liver failure. He had fought that for a while. For whatever reason, far beyond his time, 57. he went 57 years old. Died very, very young, left a beautiful wife and, and children. One of his children, I think, is handicapped, and, and they had uh, struggled uh, you know, during their lives trying to make a life for him. And taken right at the time of his life when he could have been a major contributor, was a voice as a broadcaster and, and very colorful and did a great job. Worked with the Mountain West uh, Network, but just a tremendous guy. What, what, yeah. what stands out in your mind about what he did? I think the 1983 season, more than one play, he... Uh he was kind of groundbreaking. We look at the numbers that people produce now in the in the game, and we look at what they used to, and it, it's it's not even a fair comparison because now it's been transformed into this flag league. Basically, it's a it's a passing game. But when Todd Christensen caught ninety two passes in nineteen eighty three, it was the second most receptions by any position, and by far the most by a tight end. And in fact, somebody went back and uh, and looked at uh, retroactively. Put all the players into uh, all. The, they they scored them by fantasy points, and they went retroactively. Even players who played before they had fantasy football, and surprisingly enough, guess who had the greatest season ever by a tight end? Todd Christensen in 1983. He beat out uh, Gronkowski by a couple of points. Wow! And uh, he did it in an era when well Gronkowski's team threw 100 more passes than than his team than the Raiders did. So it's it's kind of amazing what he accomplished. Five Pro Bowls, um, won two Super Bowls. I mean, on any um, any level, he passes the test. Uh, three 1,000-yard seasons, which is the, tied for the most by a tight end ever. There are eight tight ends in the Hall of Fame, and um, his numbers compare to any of them or surpass. Um, it's not really fair to put Shannon Sharp into that conversation because he was basically a wide receiver and the game had changed. But he's uh, so he's kind of the outlier. But Christensen's right there with the others. There you have it, an inside look at something that I think BYU fans ought to get behind. I mean, this is this is important. One of your own is being neglected from the Hall of Fame, and he deserves to be in. Doug Robinson has uh, clarified that amplified it and brought all the facts and figures to you. We invite you to read that in the Deseret News. Doug, thanks for being a part of this program, this podcast today. Okay, thank you. Thanks. I want to tell a personal story about Doug really quick. Um, back in the early 80s, my dad was on a flight from L.A. for business, and sitting next to him was one Doug Robinson. And my dad started talking to him. They chatted, and my dad said to him, hey, my son wants to be a sports writer. Do you have any advice for him or anything like that? So Doug took out a little piece of notepad, and he wrote down there, gave me some advice, said, Dear Jeff, and he didn't know me, of course, but he said, Dear Jeff, you want to be a sports writer? I encourage you to read everything you can and write as much as you can. You know, best of luck, Doug. And my dad brought that home to me, and I got it. And I was just, like, ecstatic because I grew up reading Doug and uh, idolizing his talent and things. And so to be his colleague is really a cool thing. And 
it just meant a lot to me that he would take the time to do that. Yeah, we appreciate Doug. And that's just another story that you'll find here on Insider Cougar Insider Podcast. And uh, we're glad to have Doug. Thanks. This portion of the Cougar Insider Podcast is brought to you by CougarFan.com. CougarFan.com has the latest news about all things BYU, from football and basketball to all the teams in between. And, of course, what you'd uh, like to have in a fan site, don't be without a message board. Leave your hot takes on Cougar Rumors all at cougarfan.com. We also invite you to uh, find this podcast wherever you look and subscribe for podcasts. Cougar Insiders, that's us. Let's break down the Badgers. Let's let's go right to Madison. We're going to be there in two days, Jeff. Uh, we had a great time the last time we went there. What a tremendous setting for a football game. Yeah, Camp Randall is an impressive place. And I didn't realize it until we went there, I think it was five years ago, that uh, Camp Randall that got its name from uh, it being a place where the, the soldiers uh, on the north side during the Civil War encamped for uh, quite a while. And so if you walk around Camp Randall, you see a lot of monuments to soldiers, to generals, to President Lincoln. It's really kind of an impressive thing. So for those that are actually making the trip, take some time before the game to walk around. It's a really cool atmosphere. Uh, you got the jump around thing, fourth quarter, which is really cool to experience. The press box actually sways back and forth. Uh, so, yeah, it's a great environment for college football. One of the best venues I've been to to watch a college game, and the uh, spirit of the fans there is tremendous. You saw it when they came last year to Provo. They like to drink, Jeff, and when you're walking in that stadium, you have to almost step over bottles. Yeah, and I remember uh, the, the place where they stick us for, for the media, for parking, is like six or seven blocks away from the stadium. So I remember after we finished up our work after that game, uh, Kurt Cragthorpe and I we're walking to the media parking, and yeah, we had to step over some uh, you know inebriated people laying in the street, and we finally made our way there. We got lost a few times. We got there, but anyway, just a great place for college football, like I said. Jeff, this is a serious football team. It is uh, ranked. Uh, they are ranked high for a reason. They have a tremendous amount of strength in their uh, offensive and defensive lines. They have a running back that you'll talk to in just a minute that is tremendous, a big play artist, maybe going to become the the all-time leading rusher in the history of Wisconsin football. On Sports Illustrated, if you look at the uh, the magazine, the college football kickoff magazine, and you spread out the spread, uh, this is called a center spread that they have, that they have a picture here that takes up the two pages, and it's of the offensive lineman for Wisconsin sitting at a Red Robin restaurant, and they have piles of hamburgers and fries and, uh, you know, uh, Chicken and milkshakes. malts and milkshakes, and they're all laughing and they they're just having a good time, just stuffing their faces. I, I kind of wonder though if maybe this might be the Sports Illustrated jinx because on the cover of that magazine is Arizona's quarterback Cahill Tate, and uh, they're they're demanding, hey, just give him the Heisman right now. The guy hasn't even rushed for thirty yards total in two games. Jinx. Uh, I would say in Wisconsin's case, no, they're not on the cover, but. Uh, you know, they're, they are legit. I mean, this offensive line is regarded as the best in the country. Uh, we saw that up close and personal last year when they came to Provo. They just like to grind people, manhandle, control the game. That's what they do. Uh, and you mentioned Jonathan Taylor. Uh, he leads the nation right now in rushing. I think he had 285 yards uh, last Saturday in the win over New Mexico State. Uh, Alex Hornibrook, the quarterback, we saw him come into Provo last year and I think complete 18 of 19 passes, one of the most efficient performances I've ever seen. He's kind of picked BYU apart. Uh, and they've got a receiver, A.J. Taylor, who is very talented. And so, yeah, BYU's got their hands full. I mean, BYU coaches did a great job 
game planning for Khalil Tate. Uh, on the defensive side, BYU is going to have a, a big challenge trying to contain that uh, Wisconsin offense. Final word, Jeff. If BYU is going to make independence work, they don't have to win all of these games, but they do have to be competitive. And I would expect that this BYU team, working on some mistakes that they had last year, they're going to force some. They're going to have some things happen to them in this game because Wisconsin is just flat out good. But they cannot afford to have their own mistakes. And their own stop drives because of missed pass or drop passes, missed assignments, penalties, having a, a receiver go downfield illegally, which which brings back a big play like they did against Cal. They have to step up and be competitive in this game, and anything can happen. Can we predict that they're going to beat Wisconsin? I don't think so, but it it could happen. Anything can happen. And if there's one thing that we've learned the last couple of years in college football is that anything can happen on a Saturday. Yeah, and I think uh, in regard to that, you know, Wisconsin, yeah, they're an incredible program. Kalani talked about yesterday about how he wants BYU to kind of emulate Wisconsin the way they play. And I, so I guess Saturday, if you can't see a win there, you can at least see how much of the progress have they made since the last year. And then my final word, I got a couple things really quick. One is I'd like to congratulate the BYU women's volleyball team. They're ranked number one in the country. First time they've been number one since uh, 1986. Great accomplishment uh, for that program, and uh, they play Utah this week, big game. And then um, the final thing I want to say is, uh, so 17 years ago today, 9-11, we all remember. When I think of 9-11, I think, of course, of all the events that happened that day. But one of the things that stands out most to me is driving to Provo that day, uh, hours after the attacks. And, of course, my mind wasn't on football. I had a story to do. And going down there, arriving the practice field. And this is, of course, before the indoor facility was built. This is before... The uh, student-athlete building that stands there was built. And arriving to park and looking at the practice field and seeing all the players kneeling down, um, praying, praying for the victims, praying for comfort, for peace. And it's just, uh, even at, at BYU, very religious school, as we know, uh, you don't see that very often. You, know, you We don't get to see the team praying. But they were there on that practice field. You were probably there too that day, Dick. And uh, it was really impactful and uh, just kind of reminded you uh, – the importance of sports and the whole scheme of things. And anyway, that, that image of those, the team praying has always stuck with me. I appreciate those thoughts, Jeff, and appreciate um, our listeners on this Cougar Insiders podcast. We invite you, again, to subscribe, to uh, download it, and find it where you find your podcasts and uh, join part of our team. We appreciate uh, Doug Robinson being with us, and thank you very much. <laughs>